0: Well hello my friends and welcome to Hope For Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church thanking you so much for joining us today on the broadcast. Today I wanna talk to you about a subject that I think impacts every single one who is listening to me. It is humility. Humility is my greatest battle. Everyone has a place in this world and it seems like our place is constantly getting smaller and smaller. You know humility can be your friend if you want it to be your friend. It should be your best friend but it is the hardest trait to learn. It seems like humility is so hard to learn because about the time we become humble, we become proud of ourselves that we have this great trait of humility. That's so I think it's an ongoing battle. God loved us so much that he gave us his one and only son. Jesus was a humble and a meek person. Not that he's weak, right? Meekness is not weakness. It's really strength under control. Well, let's talk about humility. What is humility? One who has got a character trait of humility is one who is gentle, one who is meek, without any arrogance in any part. Uh, It's not the concealment of my pride. It's actually the elimination of my pride. Now, let me repeat that because I think so many times we think, well, if I just suppress my pride, I'll be okay. That's not how you learn humility because that pride will keep seeping up. Uh, It's kind of like going out into your lawn and you see a bunch of dandelions over your lawn. And you say, I'm going to take my lawnmower and I'm just going to run over these dandelions. I find out when you do that, they just spread. Uh, you cannot eradicate dandelions by cutting them down. Uh, they must be eradicated at the very root. And that way you get all of that dandelion out of there. Well, when it comes to humility, it's the same exact thing. Humility is a virtue. It is a character trait. and It is a gift from God but it's something that we must constantly hone to be more like Christ. Well, let's talk about it, okay? Number one, humility actually starts with God. Proverbs 22.4 says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. So, beginning with fearing of the Lord, reverence of the Lord. Jonathan Edwards called this the nature of true virtue. You know, there's true virtue versus common virtue. Common virtue is that I'm restrained to do certain things because it's for the common good of everyone else. So I don't do certain things because I don't want to go against what's best for where I live. That's common good, right? Everybody has common good. But Edward says that true virtue is that I'm changed. I'm not just restrained out of fear, out of pride. You know, I might be a good citizen because I don't want people to think badly of me. That's a common virtue. But true virtue is when pride is dissolved at its very root. And as a result of that, I am changed. You can say it like this. There's a difference between being morally reformed versus being spiritually transformed. A person that is morally reformed is one that's going to follow the rules, right? As a matter of fact, a moralist is one that keeps his life within the lines. He does what is right. He follows the rules of society. And it's that I'm going to be formed by my morality based upon what society says I should do. So I follow the rules. The problem with that is the rules are constantly changing based upon the society I'm living in. Spiritual transformation, however, is much different. Spiritual transformation is when I follow the Savior. I remember many years ago, a woman approached me after church one Sunday. It was the Sunday that I spoke on this very subject, the subject of humility. Now, she was upset with me because she totally disagreed with my message. It wasn't one particular point that she disagreed with. She disagreed with my entire premise of the message. She says, God does not expect anyone to be humble. We should be proud of who we are and how we are made. Now, how would you have responded to that? Now, I got to admit that it took me by surprise, so I asked her if she had ever read Philippians chapter 2. She wasn't sure what I was talking about, so I quoted part of Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, verse number 1 through 7, he says, and we'll look at kind of verse number 5 as really gets to the crux of the matter, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to death, death on the cross. When I think about pride, Pride is the most deadly and evil of all sins because it is the root of all other sins. Pride was what attacked Satan with that original sin when he said, I will make myself like the most high, Isaiah 14, 14. Now, Jesus had a much different approach. Jesus said, if you're weak, I become weak. He humbled himself and he said, come unto me, all you who are weak, all you who are heavy laden, and learn of me and I will make you strong because I am lowly of heart. You see, meek rhymes with weak, and that's too bad because they're really not synonymous. So the first thing we must learn when it comes to this matter of meekness is that it begins with God. Number two, it is surrendering everything to Him. In John three twenty-seven, it says, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. In other words, everything that I have has been given to me from heaven, whether I acknowledge that or not, it's been given to me by God. In Numbers 12, 2, it says, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the meek, for they shall be comforted, or they shall be lifted up. That's what we would expect, but that would have fueled our pride. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Pride was that bait that Satan used to tempt Eve. And when he set aside what God had said and she was tempted, she took of that fruit. Whenever I sin, I am arrogantly asserting that I know better than God when it comes to what is best for me. We must constantly battle our pride and grow in humility. You know, if you think that you've attained any measure of humility, you've got to be on your guard against being prideful of your humility. There are three battles that we all face the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let's look at these one at a time. The lust of the flesh. Now, for years, I assumed that sea creatures ate plastic, and that's why plastic should not be put into the ocean. And I thought it was by accident. But I've discovered that sea creatures actually love plastic. It has literally become a junk food to them. Now, this is according to a marine scientist who said plastics may be inherently tasty to these sea creatures, and then they become addicted to plastic. When it comes to the lust of the flesh, we are addicted to the lust of the flesh. How do we overcome the lust of the flesh? We don't overcome it by feeding it. We overcome it by starving it. There's a contrast that may be more obvious when it comes to overcoming the lust of the flesh. According to the New Haven Register, if sand came near the mouths of animals in the sea, they would use these tiny little hairs that cover their bodies to brush them clean. But delicious plastic is of a different matter. Instead of brushing the plastic away, the corals scooped up the plastic toward their mouths with their small little tentacles. Then they grab up the trash. Of course, plankton and coral, they don't have eyes, leaving them with just their tongues to help them figure out whether it is something edible or not. So, when an animal tastes something, he's got to make this decision whether to eat it or not to eat it. According to this researcher, plastics in the ocean go beyond merely littering a beautiful landscape. They hurt those who unknowingly consume it. That's what happens when we feed the lust of the flesh. Things that we should be rejecting, we are consuming, and then we become addicted to it. The second battle that we have is the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is seeing something and then wanting what we see. And as a result of looking at something, uh, somebody put it like this, we have this wild unreasonableness and it's a passion that has gone awry. We've looked at something that we shouldn't look at and now we want something that we shouldn't have. That's why pornography is such a danger to our society. We look at something that we should not have. The third battle that we have is the pride of life. The pride of life can be defined as anything of this world, meaning anything that leads to arrogance, pride in self, boasting, or presumption. Now, John made it really clear that anything that produces the pride of life comes from the love of the world. 1 John 2.15 says, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, he's not talking about The world itself, as we're talking about creation, he's talking about the world system, the way that the world thinks and the way that the world uh, operates. If you love the world system, the love of the Father is not in you. I think about how Jesus was tempted. Remember when he was tempted and he gave the word of God back to Satan. And that is how he was able to refute the pride of life. When I think about Adam and Eve when Eve was tempted by the serpent to disobey God and to eat that forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and Eve, Eve perceived that the fruit was good for food. That was the lust of the flesh. She knew it would appease her flesh. It was good for food. She also saw that it was pleasing to the eyes. Now, that was the lust of the eyes. It looked good. And then she saw that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. That is the pride of life. She coveted the fruit in three ways. First, it was appealing to her appetite. Now, this is what John refers to as the lust of the flesh, the desire for that which satisfies the physical needs. The fruit was also pleasing or delightful to our eyes, that which we see or desire to make us want to possess something. Here the lust of the eyes John refers to. Finally, somehow Eve perceived that that fruit would make her wise, giving her wisdom beyond her own. You see, part of Satan's lie was eating that fruit would make her like God, knowing good and evil. So John replies and he says to his disciples, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him by the Lord. It's easy to fall in that trap. It's hard to avoid that trap. So John the Baptist says, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was still in his mother's womb. So what is humility and why should I become so humble? When I think about humility, humility is a trap. Humility is surrendering to my lust. But if I'm going to become a humble person, I must realize it starts with God and I must surrender everything to him. Humility is so important that it's the only way to eternal life. In John 6:65, 6, Jesus says, "No one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father." Second Samuel twenty-two twenty-eight says, "You save the humble, but your eyes on the haughty are there to bring them low." I want you to know that when you are a humble person, that is the first step to receiving eternal life. It's recognizing that I can't bring about eternal life on my own strength. You know, as we look at John the Baptist, for example, John the Baptist was a voice crying out in the wilderness, and they wanted to worship him. John the Baptist emphatically rejects that worship, and he says, I am not the Christ, don't worship me. And then he reminds those who wanted to be followers of Christ, he says, you should follow Christ, the great I am. I am not the Christ, but he is the I am. You may think, well, Uh, There's not much danger of me going down the wrong path thinking that I'm Christ. But when you look at humility or you look at the pride of life, it's not that I'm going to be worrying about becoming like Christ. I'm just worried about being better than somebody else. One up from somebody else. If you really want to have everlasting life, you must walk in humility. Number two, humility is the only way to your best life. We hear a lot about your best life and how to live your best life. And Peter says this, Be sober-minded, that is to be humble, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, Satan loves a challenge and he knows how corrupted our human nature is. And so he will go around as a lion ready to prowl us. Pride is actually a form of selfishness. Humility is a form of selflessness. Now, most people would label selfishness as a negative trait. And Stephen Diamond writes in Psychology Today that most of us are taught from childhood that selfishness is sinful. It's bad. It's evil. So parents reflexively encourage generous sharing, not self-hoarding. And a friend says to you, you're selfish. You are unlikely to thank him or her for that compliment. But we're also quick to pin the the selfish label on others, but it's not so much on ourselves. For instance, in 2005, a Pew Research poll was done. It revealed that 68% of us say that the term selfishness applies to the typical American. In 2014, another survey found that 71% of adults believe that millennials, those who are age 18 to 25, are very selfish. Now, remarkably, the exact same percentage of millennials agreed that they are selfish. In an article entitled, I'm Okay and You're Selfish, New York Times Magazine reported that only 17% of us say that we are overtly selfish in ourselves. 60% of us believe that other people are overtly selfish. In other words, we see it in others, but we don't see it in ourselves. You see, the only way that you can live your best life is by surrendering to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That is the secret to overcoming selfishness. Well, how do I get it? I realize that I could live my best life now if I could eradicate pride from my life, but how do I get it? Well, let me give you a few simple things in the remaining minutes that we have at our time together. Number one, you've got to be like Jesus all the time in all areas. In Philippians 2 8, it says that. Jesus being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So if I'm going to be like Jesus, I've got to be like him. I've got to humble myself in obedience. Jesus also said, take up my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So I got to be like Jesus. I yoke up with Jesus. I'm humble like Jesus. Richard Murray McShane said, I see a man cannot be a faithful minister until he preaches Christ for Christ's sake. And I don't miss that. Being like Jesus for the sake of Jesus, not for the sake of me, I'm a faithful minister and I will not continue to be a faithful minister until I constantly learn to preach Christ for Christ's sake. Number two, not only do I strive to be like Jesus all the time in all areas, but number two, I confess and I denounce all pride. Don't just restrain it, replace it. I replace it with gentleness. So I peel off pride, I eradicate pride so that I can put on humility. You know, being a Christian is not an ego thing. A lot of people accuse Christians of claiming salvation and then thinking that that makes them better than everybody else. You know, it's actually just the opposite. As followers of Christ, we simply know that we have a major problem with sin, but yet we know how to fix it. Jesus said, those that exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your care upon him, because he cares for you. Andrew Murray said. Humility, the place of entire dependence upon God, is, from the very nature of things, the first duty of highest virtue, of highest character within the creature. It is the root of every virtue. And so pride, or the loss of humility, is the root of every single sin and every evil. Now, I've got to admit, I struggle with pride. When we think about this struggle that we have, I want to give you the 12 step humility challenge, okay? John said that he must increase, John the Baptist, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. How do I go about this process of decreasing? Because we tend to want to promote ourselves. Uh, Sometimes we do it in a subtle way, but we always want to promote ourselves. We want others to think well of us. How do we? Go through and become a person of humility. Well, let's go through this one step at a time. Number one, I must routinely confess my sin. This must be an ongoing process of my life. It's part of my life. Every day, you gotta spend some time confessing of your sin because we all fall short of the glory of God. Spend some time saying, Lord, I've messed up, and be very specific about this confession. I had a thought that was was displeasing to God. I, I did something that hurt somebody else. I did an action. And when I routinely confess my sins, I am acknowledging the sins that I have in my life that I should not have done. I'm also acknowledging the things that I should do that I haven't done. Confessing the sins of omission, confessing the sins of commission. Number two. Acknowledge your sin before others. You know, humility before God is not complete, and this is also humility before men. Now you don't confess your faults to everyone. James says confess your faults one to another. So somebody that you trust. You know a true test of our willingness to humble ourselves is our willingness to share with others the weaknesses that we confess to God. Now obviously wisdom dictates. That we must be careful who we confess our sins to. You know, I have a group of people that I have made myself accountable to. They can ask me the difficult questions, and I, I I can I can acknowledge my sins before them. So, routinely confess your sin before God. That will help you to be a humble person. Number two, acknowledge your sin to others. This is the accountability factor. You're never going to get past a sin until you confess it to somebody else. Number three, take wrong patiently. You know, sometimes unjust things happen to us and we just want to react to rectify it. And I tend to be a reactionary type of person. I think we all are. However, patiently responding to an unjust accusation demonstrates our strength and our godly character. It provides an opportunity to put on humility. Take wrongs patiently. Number three, actively submit to authority, both the good and the bad. You see, we tend to not value submission. Our culture doesn't value submission. Rather, we like to be individuals, right? Uh, we like to have our own authority. As I think about submitting to authority, the good and the bad, it takes humility to do that. First Peter 218 reminds us that we're to submit to those who have authority over us. Number five, receive correction and feedback from others graciously. You know, one pastor was noted for his graciousness in receiving any negative feedback or correction that was offered. He would simply say, Thank you for caring enough to share that with me. I will pray about it and I'll get back to you. Whenever somebody gives you Correction. Give back feedback graciously. Look for that kernel of truth in what others offer you, even if it comes from a dubious source. Always pray, Lord, what are you trying to show me through this? Well, let's review quickly what we've talked about. If you want to learn humility, number one, routinely confess your sin to God, number two, acknowledge your sin to others, number three, Take wrong patiently. Number four, actively submit to authority, the good and the bad. Number five, receive correction, receive feedback from others graciously. And then number six, now this is a tough one right here, accept a lowly place. You know, if you find yourself wanting to sit at the head of the table, wanting others to recognize your contributions, or becoming offended when others are honored or chosen, then pride is your present. Purpose to support others being recognized rather than you. Accept and look for the lowly place. Number seven, purposely associate with people of lower state than you. Don't always associate with the wealthy and the prosperous. Associate those who are lower than you. Number eight, choose to serve others. Jesus said if you want to be great in God's kingdom— you got to be servant of all. Number nine, be quick to forgive. You know, forgiveness is probably one of the greatest acts of humility that we can do. To forgive is to acknowledge a wrong that has been done to us, and also we release that right of repaying that wrong back. Forgiveness is a denial of self. Forgiveness is not insisting on my own way. It's a tremendous act of humility. And then number ten, cultivate a grateful heart. We are to give thanks in all things. Number 11, purpose to speak well of others. Be intentional about not saying negative things about other people, not putting them down, but lifting them up. Speaking well of others edifies them and it builds them up. Make sure, however, that when you do this, you're not doing it as flattery. You're doing it out of a sincere heart. And then number 12, treat pride as a condition that always necessitates embracing the cross. Well thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash1890557 or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast and Apple Podcast Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.